The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and joined by... The chief, oh gosh, what's the, I was trying to think of this pun. Someone on Reddit said this thing. About, like, I need to make a pun about a poop deck. Uh, this isn't the time now for poop jokes. You're about to introduce the, the founder of the Data Reaper Project and the chief editor of the report. And you want to make some poop jokes? Poop is funny. It's not appropriate. It's funny, I don't know. I mean, the, get the, the, the poop jokes can come after. Like, when we, when we get to the actual poop deck... Yes. Well, there are a couple of those. Anyways, Zach, how you doing, buddy? You wrote a lot of stuff yesterday. I'm really tired. I'm so tired that I almost forgot to say, how you doing, Hat? I'm doing all right. I'm also tired for non-report reasons. But as I tried to get through this entire report, I got winded about halfway down the page. What was the word count? I actually forgot to check. Let, let me check the word count real quick. 6,000. That's a lot of words. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure this is record breaking. I remember hitting this mark before, but I don't know. It's exact because you know I like. There's so many decks that I intentionally try to be more concise on some of them, especially like the druid section, because otherwise uh, this would have never been over. But yeah, normally, normally I finish writing the report like 24 hours before it, it, it gets published. And this time it took me like, I finished like 20 hours before launch. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm pedantic and I always get the report done and finished and compiled way before the report is actually out. But still, I had to work until like, uh, I worked from like on the day on Wednesday from like 8 a.m. I woke up and started working and I was done something like 11 p.m. at night. Something like that. I did take a shower and I did eat in front of the laptop. Thank you for practicing good hygiene. It's really something. This format is uh, I really I don't ever remember this kind of variety and diversity. And the amount of decks I had to plug into the website is uh, some of these classes have seven, eight decks. That's uh, I don't remember that being a thing pretty much ever. There are 10 Druid deck lists. 10. And the thing is, it could even be more diverse. The only thing you need to do, basically, is give control or your card draw, and it will be viable. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, fast, like, not Outriders Axe card draw. Actual good, fast card draw. And uh, and it will be fine, too. Uh, like, this is all a factor, uh, a factor of just having card draw options to cater uh, to different uh, strategies that are available in each class. When, when, when decks, when classes were dead and weren't viable and you couldn't make them work, it was because they didn't have card draw. And now Team 5 changed the philosophy. They introduced more card draw over the last year. Some people think that's wrong, but it absolutely isn't. And this meta is living proof. Um... And, you know, it could be more diverse again. Like, Warlock, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you had to nerf Rod, but maybe if you introduce 
more card draw options for other strategies. Maybe Zoo needs a better card draw option, and then suddenly it gets better. Um, uh, and Priest uh, kind of the same thing. Well, Priest is more, I think Priest has, actually has the card draw, just doesn't have the win conditions in the late game to really, that really fit the format. But I, I think that, like, lack of diversity in Warrior and Priest are very easily fixable. Um, so, you know, all this diversity, things can get even more diverse. Yeah. And there is there is opportunity here, but the classes that are doing well, many of them are doing very well. Why don't we jump right in here, Zach, and talk about all ten classes up front by talking about Rogue. It's all the classes. You know, I've been playing High Legend Ladder over the last week. And whenever I queue into a warrior and, or a priest, I'm just asking, oh, this this probably Rogue. I'm just mulliganing for Rogue. It's It's funny. I got bamboozled a couple times today because it's it, most of you may uh, might know this. Uh, if you have a non-golden maestro, it replaces your hero power with a non-golden one. If you have a golden one, it does a golden hero power. Uh, so typically when I see non-golden hero powers, I'm like, oh, that is probably a rogue. There were a couple demon hunter opponents I played against today. They were actually demon hunters. They just didn't have the 500 wins. They got me. I think I don't have 500 wins with demon hunter. Really? I don't even have 500 wins. Yeah, I'm just not... You probably didn't play much of it in Ashes. Yeah, that wasn't your thing. Yeah, I did not play much of it in Ashes. And, um, yeah, it's just like... Uh, I think Soul DH appealed to me, but I tend not to play much Demon Hunter. Uh, so I didn't get... Uh, I'm not even at 500. But, uh, nevertheless... Uh, let's talk about Rogue. Um, so Thief Rogue popped up this week. Looks very strong. Looks like the best deck in the game. Looks like the clear best deck in the game. And the one that pretty much is going to kind of dictate the format of, okay, now you got to beat me. You got to find ways to, of beating me. Otherwise, I'm just taking over. And, you know, its matchup spread looks very, very good. But... Uh, if you want to stop this deck, what you need to do is play uh, a strong defensive deck with good removal tools, good clears, and you should be good uh, against uh, Thief Rogue. So there is an answer, and I think that as players fine-tune Fell Demon Hunter, and remember that Handlock is a good deck, and Paladin, yes, Libran Paladin is very good, is, is quite good into, into Thief Rogue. Once people start playing more of these strategies, then I think that the Frog win rate could relax. But it is a very, very powerful deck, mostly fueled by early wild panels. This card is, I think this is the only deck where, uh, the only rogue deck where Shadowcrafter's Scabs is not clearly the best card in it. Because no, like early gnolls are very, very powerful. Uh, what what this allows uh, Thief Rogue to do is, you know, you look at the list that we have in the report. They are barely, this deck barely spends mana on cards. Um, all of its cards are either easily discounted or have some sort of, some sort of mana discount attached to them. Or they're just one drops or, you know, uh, the, the, the card that you spend the most mana on 
with this deck is like double agent. And then you've got Edwin and Smite and and and, and Scabs, the hero power, because it's busted. But everything else is like two mana or less. Uh, a lot of time, very often zero mana. So what what Noel does, double agent, these this this kind of early game is that it really helps this deck completely tech take over the early game board control battle in the meta. You know, remember when I talked about meta dynamics, you have the early game board battle of which deck is best at seizing the initiative. Well, Thief Rogue clearly wins that. It wins that against Quest Warriors of the World. It wins that against the Face Hunters of the World. It is the premier deck for taking over the early game board control battle. Uh, so it's all about whether you can fend off the aggression of those earning early nulls and stabilize to the late game, which is some, what some of the decks that I mentioned uh, can successfully do. Uh, in terms of the build, preparation. Just run preparation. This card is so good. Jesse Alexander started running one. He hit number one legend with a list that had Jandis in preparation. I saw preparation and the way that it performed. It is clearly a card that you need to run two of and drop the Jandis. She costs six mana. We don't spend card. We don't we don't spend six mana on cards in this deck unless it's like it's an, a busted hero card, right? Unless it's smite. Unless it's smite or a busted hero card. Um so yeah. Uh this deck is very, very powerful. But I do think that. It, again, it kind of promotes um, defensive decks, which is good because we wanna uh, we wanna have decks that encourage uh, that dissuade aggression sometimes, and not just decks that encourage aggression. Uh, Thiefrog is a deck that encourages the meta to actually slow down rather than speed up. Um, but you know, obviously, Noel is a card that uh, is very likely to be looked at in some degree. Uh, if this deck continues to dominate, which I'm not, again, I'm not too sure of it, whether this deck is like a tier ass beats everything deck, it, it doesn't seem to be the case. It feels like if you, it's very good, but if you want to beat it, you can beat it. I think the reason that they would look at nerfing Noel if they do, which I think is reasonable to th- at least talk about, is because of how uh, powerful it is against other decks trying to play for the board. I do generally like what Thief Rogue does for the format because at its heart, it's a it's a minion heavy strategy that really struggles with control. I mean, it's kind of an honest Hearthstone deck to be. It's uh, an, it's an like honest Hearthstone deck. Gray area. It's an honest, honest Hearthstone deck that doesn't spend mana on cards, but but it plays for the board. It plays for the board. It does have some late game burst, which is fair. You need to have some some of that if you want to be a constructed Hearthstone deck. But it, it fights for board. It is very much about taking over the board, controlling the board, and leveraging that to a victory, which is a stark contrast from, you know, what we saw before the bound changes, where there were a lot of decks that just ignored the board. Um, so I think that's fine. Like, if they ever nerf Null, I mean, it's it's it could be power-related, but also because of the, you know, the high-rolliness, uh, the non-games and creates, like the early two Nulls. But... You know, I've often I've played this deck over the last week. I've, I've tried it out. I've tested it. Sometimes you get too early nulls and still lose. 
It's not like... I did that today, and I got Arcanist emote, and like, and that was it? Yeah, like, if... if The thing is, you... It costs cards, right? You you front load your hand, you vomit stuff to the board early, and you hope to overwhelm your opponent that way. But if your opponent can deal with your opening gambit, then you kind of have... You're kind of struggling to follow up, right? You don't have great follow-up unless you like passage into more stuff, but you don't have a lot of threats in this deck. The biggest threats that you have in this deck other than the double agents and the nulls, are actually the reconnaissance minions that you discover. Uh, but it's not like null is an encanter's flow in this deck. It's not like yeah. null is, uh, uh, you know, a Drek'thar. It is nowhere near that. It's actually, as uh, when, you, when you look at all of the high roll cards, it might be one of the least high rolly ones. It's not a card that's like you're looking at the mulligan, and if you have it in the mulligan, you like have a ten percent uh, uh, extra chance of winning the game. It's it's nowhere near that. I compare it to Imprisoned Ganarg and Rush Warrior on turn one. Seems about like that. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's actually not that much more powerful than just having double agent, which I think is is a fair card. Obviously, Null is better later in the game, right? Double Agent is mostly most powerful on turn three, on turn two on, on the coin. But it's not like Null is this overwhelmingly better card than everything else in the deck. So I think that when it comes to like powerful cards, um, I think it's in a fine spot. Um, like, and, and again, the deck itself, I don't think it's overly offensive. I think its play patterns are generally healthy. Um, I, I think it promotes the right kind of strategies to counter it, and I, I think it's generally fine. But if over the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, matchups will not improve against it, decks will not be able to adjust to it, and it won't be able to, you won't be able to consistently counter it, then maybe you need to address it. But Right now, I'm seeing plenty of things that have potential to address it, to, to deal with it, and lower its win rate a bit. Um, so I think we can we can wait on, on Thief Rogue, and, and for now, uh, just enjoy the fact that this archetype is actually competitive and meta. Also, we should take a moment to say, it's super fun. If there's ever a it deck to a be one of, of the best decks, like, this is one of the things I've talked to so many people, like, I can't put the deck down, it's interesting and it's cool and i love reconnaissance as a card just the play experience makes gameplay so varied if you missed the the dod era hearthstone stuff you get to have some really wacky games i lost a mirror today because my opponent uh hero power scabs hero powered out a six mana mcgurkle prime and then prepped a potion of illusion like it's if you if you're looking for that goofy stuff you get access to that yeah but i think reconnaissance is the good kind of generation card. It is. Oh, yes. It is kind of narrow. It is kind of narrow, but it's also a one-for-one. You're not generating four random cards. You're not generating... It's not like a mana cyclone. You're generating one card. There's a lot of meaningful decision-making when it comes to picking what you get. Sometimes there's a lot of decisions there uh, in the discover phase, and it doesn't seem... Like, it doesn't overwhelm the opponent of, like... Oh, they have their entire hand is randomly generated, and I don't know what to play around. You know, uh, it's it's one for one. 
so I think that's good. That's the good kind of generation. Uh, and it's also really fun to play with it, obviously, because it just creates more varied gameplay experience. I had this game yesterday where I got uh, Najak, whatever his name is, the the four mana mind control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw that replay. That was so ridiculous. Uh, my, my opponent, I, my opponent was like a quest rogue, and uh, I had I I set up a counter spell so he couldn't, uh, so they couldn't. Uh, uh, stealth the scabs and then i mind controlled the scabs and then passaged into a shadow step and i shadow step my opponent's quest reward and i replay it and i got and i basically killed uh killed them with their own uh quest reward it was really really funny uh but it just creates these more varied um gameplay experiences that i think is good without being again this overwhelming super like mass generation kind of thing yeah it's not it's not just like really stupid all the time it but like sometimes it makes these crazy trolled in highlights and other times it's just a good card and the second prep you just get to play with pre-nerf innervate you just get to turn three prep recon play a five yeah uh that's what makes preparation is good because you know when you don't run foxy fraud uh i could tell based on the analysis that i've done is that Swindle becomes worse. Uh, Swindle starts to struggle when you don't have a way to cheat it out or activate it uh, consistently, and prep really helps Swindle. Obviously, it's great with the Reconnaissance because it kind of becomes innervate. You can just prep uh, Reconnaissance on three and put a f- play a five drop. That's very powerful. Or like on four, sometimes I get Ring Matron. Like, good yep. luck. Turn four, Ring Matron, that thing slaps. That thing is very powerful. Or Savannah High Main. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can do with uh, prep reconnaissance that, that allow you to, again, front load uh, pressure. My favorite is turn three gray bow. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah, that is also pretty good, especially if you have a couple of swashburglers running around there. Uh, makes it very hard uh, to clear your threats. So, yeah, um, deck is good. But there are other rogue decks, and they're also um, quite good. You've got the quest rogue um, that is having a lot of success and is kind of overshadowed right now. But the thing is that quest rogue does that thief rogue does not do is, for example, beat paladin. Thief rogue can actually struggle sometimes against Liban paladin. Um, it's it's tough to beat Cariel with that deck. Yeah, I don't feel like I lose to paladin. I feel like I lose to Cariel. Yeah, yeah. Then the the thing is though that Thief Rogue doesn't have great single target removal. You don't have SI Assassin, right? SI Assassin is huge in that matchup. The Gizmo, uh, the Sap Gizmo is, is huge. Is Flash in that Distractor? Yeah, yeah. Thief Rogue doesn't have those tools. Thief Rogue to beat Paladin, you really gotta com- snowball the early game and and kind of kill them or get close to killing them before they get to turn seven before they start dropping Librum of hopes and and Cariel. once the once the paladin starts to stabilize there the thief rogue uh kind of struggles to, to to finish the game uh but you know obviously quest rogue is a great answer for, for paladin so quest rogue does have a place in the meta i think it just um because it takes more time to ramp up because it's a slower strategy um you know matchups like uh, face hunter are much more difficult thief rogue farms face hunter but when you play quest rogue face hunter is a can be a frustrating matchup so there there is definitely some i would say quest rogue is 
for by far the better late game deck, but Thief Rogue dominates early game like no other, right? But but you still have that option uh, with Crestwoke that it's a very solid and strong deck uh, that that's doing well. It's just not doing as well as Thief Rogue uh, when it comes to like once there's optimized uh, builds, once Thief Rogue figure out the best thirty, it, it really is uh, the best deck in the format. Um, but also there is uh, Poison Rogue, um, which you've played today. Why are you why are you grossed out? Had played Poison Rogue today, uh, listeners. I played one game of it after getting one game too much. Okay, I played <laughs> one, one game, game too much. Hat <laughs> played one game because uh, Thief Rogue hit rank one legend today. Yeah, top ne- top legend right now is like I'm countering Thief Rogue. So people started yes. to play Fell Demon Hunter. We'll get to that tech later. Some handlocks too. Yes. Thief Rogue has a target on its back. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with it next week and next week's report. What's the win rate going to be? What's the matchup spread going to be? But but yeah, so people are carrying Thief Rogue and you decided to be a dirty Poison Rogue player for one game. Um, for one game, I played against a very different Rogue deck that did not make it to this report for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that deck. Okay. Yes, but Poison Rogue is... This is like... It used to be Garrote with training wheels. Now I think it feels like kind of just a better version of Garrote, and the weapon has never felt less relevant because they just need to draw and then kill you with damage because Scabs is unbelievable in this deck. Yeah. You now have the option. There are a few things that, a few factors, I think, that have led to Poison Rogue being the strongest it's ever been since Wintus Shank was released. Uh, One is Shadowcraft or Scabs. Uh, you like you have the option to just completely eliminate all interaction from the opponent. You can just cloak on five into cloak on six into scabs on seven. What the hell does your opponent even do when you have that sequencing? Uh, and you, since you have so much card draw, you consistently find scabs. And scabs is pretty much the thing that nullifies um, the the main strategy against poison rogue that countered before which is developing a lot of threats. Poison Rogue doesn't have AoE, doesn't have to deal... Uh, it cannot deal with, with gigantic threats and it just dies. And now things are totally different. Uh, you look at the Libram Paladin matchup. Libram Paladin used to dominate Poison Rogue. Now it's like a 50-50 matchup. It's close. Maybe even a Ugh. little bit Poison favorite because of Scabs. And it's all because of Scabs. And since you're drawing your deck very, very quickly... Um, and you run a Viper in Poison Rogue, uh, like since it's very damage centric, you can't just get farmed by Kyriel, right? So you have Viper, you have Scabs, you draw Scabs consistently every game because you're drawing your deck uh, very consistently with the tools that you have available. So if you don't kill the Poison Rogue by turn seven, they're kind of, it's very easy for them to just set up the win. But yeah, so that's one of the things, like the, the Shadowcraft of Scabs. The other thing that you have to keep in mind is because you nerfed Mithrobot, and I did warn people that weapons are going to be more powerful after the patch because they're not going to get collateral damage from all the people targeting Mithrobot. They're going to be less Vipers in the meta. So obviously that affects Poison Rogue in a positive way since its weapon uh, is more likely to stick, and it's not really worthwhile to run Vipers uh, anymore. Maybe that changes, but it's not like Poison Rogue is a super popular deck right now that's worth Vipering. Um, 
So that's another important factor. Uh, and then the other factor is the Mozaki mages. Like if you really hate Mozaki mage, which a lot of people seem to, to do, a lot of people don't like losing the Mozaki mage, then they just bust out the poison roll and get a free matchup. It's like 90-10 hat. The matchup is like 90-10. So it gets a lot of free wins against the Mozaki mages, which are a very popular top legend. Um, it benefits from Vipers, and obviously uh, Shadowcraft of Scabs is just busted. So, so the deck is as stronger as it's ever been. Like I've never seen this deck be surefire tier one, absolutely at legend. Uh, and then you know, usually at lower ends of ladder, this deck has always looked kind of trash. But even at lower ends of ladder, Poison Rogue looks fine. Like there's not enough aggression in the format. Like that really can counter it. And again, if you don't kill them by turn seven, they scabs you and the game is pretty much over. Um, so it's it's got a lot of games now, even against decks that are that used to be its natural counters. Uh, so that's Poison Rogue. And then Garot Rogue, it's kind of funny, right? Because last week I said, oh, Garot Rogue is coming back. It'll probably be back in tier one. The thing is, Garot Rogue is still a good deck. It's just that there's so many other good rogue decks, right? Why would you play Garot Rogue when you can play Poison Rogue right now? And that's a really good question because Poison Rogue's the damage that comes down. It comes down faster. It's harder to stop, right? It's harder to armor your way out of it because there's no time to do that. There's no time to armor up against a Poison Rogue. Uh, and uh, unless you're like playing Quest Rid or something like that. And... It's also just a lot less work. It's so much less work. I don't want to have to think about Garotrog. I'm just going to play my shank and play my card draw spell and then cloak, cloak, scabs, kill you. You also have Guild Trader and Sinister Strike. Yeah, you get to be Garot. You just have to think less. Yeah, I mean, you have to think less, but Poison Rogue is, is objectively more powerful, even a top legend where you have to think more because you have all the game required to just... 30 to 0 opponents, you're just doing it over time rather than one turn uh, around turn 8 or 9 or whatever. Uh, because you have the weapon damage, which is a lot, but you also have the guild trader damage. Like You don't need to everything to be just weapons uh, smacking your opponent in the head. You can just trade away cutlasses, um, discount your wicked stabs and your sinister strikes, and, that, and, and just win with guild trader. Uh, that is a common way to finish games, especially if your opponent started to stabilize behind taunts. You have a lot of reach. You can deal like easily 14 damage from hand without any 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 utilization of your weapon. So the deck is very versatile in terms of being able to finish games like that. And it's just good. So you can play Poison Rogue, but don't play Poison Rogue if you want to be friends with me, because I'm probably not going to be friends with you if you play this deck. Probably not. Because, yeah. All right. That was one class. Nine to go. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, by the way, just real quick. Well, no, hold on. Real quick. Cute Rogue is bad Thief Rogue. And Secret Rogue is bad Thief Rogue. If you're playing those things, probably just play the Thief Rogue list in the report. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like the cute build. I mean, it's cute and all, but 
I mean, it's funny. I played a lot of it. The regular Thief Rogue build is better. It's just, again, it's the cute rogue list is more work for the same result with less density in the deck, and the deck already has a threat density problem. And you run a bunch of neutrals. Like, I yeah. tried that deck, and then sometimes you just draw Warmaster early in the game, or you draw that tiny fin, and your nose costs more mana. I don't want that. I want my nose to cost zero hat. I can't do that if I have a bunch of neutrals in my deck. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, your Edwin, like when you run prep in the primary build, like your Edwin is just as strong. Your Edwin is insane. You don't need to play tiny fins for your Edwins to be good. Just run preparation. It is a way better card than Murloc tiny fin. With all due respect to tiny fin. I mean, right? I love tiny I mean, the fin. The only thing that yes. tiny fin has over preparation is that it has better art. That's pretty much it. Yes. So yeah. Any case, mage. Um so obviously we've got Mozaki Mage. I was worried about this deck uh before the balance changes. Um I, I see a lot of justification right now for my worries because this deck is pretty prevalent at top legend. Uh players are not gonna let it be too good. Like whenever there's this deck is gonna rise in popularity, people are just gonna bust out the poison rogues. Or bust out strategies that that counter Mozaki Mage. It's just that it's very the the way to counter it is very binary. You basically have to kill them by turn six. Like if they have flow on three, then their ability to kill you on turn six and seven is pretty much reliant on their ability to draw Mozaki. And that really leads to a very polarizing experience where you feel like if I don't kill them by turn 6-7, I cannot have a favorite matchup against them. And I see that very clearly in the matchup spread. You really need to be very fast to be able to, to reliably beat Mozaki Mage. And for me, that's a problem. Uh, if Thief Rogue isn't fast enough to counter this deck, then we kind of have a problem, right? If Wild Pot Knolls are not fast enough to kill Mozaki Mage, that's a problem. Um, so I expect this deck to get nerfed after the, yeah. the holidays, not because it's the best deck, because it isn't. Again, players are not going to allow it to be the best deck, but it would probably, like, if Poison Rogue wasn't around, it would probably be tier one, a top legend. Like, people are underestimating, maybe are underestimating how a 90-10 matchup that's fairly common can change a deck's uh, standing in the format. Like a thing, like you have uh, poison rogue is like like quick math. If poison rogue is like five percent of the meta, and it's like ninety ten, right? Imagine you swap it for a fifty fifty matchup. Those five percent in the format, that's like an extra two percent in the win rate. So Mozaki Mage delete poison rogue, swap it with a fifty fifty deck. Mozaki Mage is almost tier one, maybe even tier one uh, at top legend. So that's that's kind of a that's kind of an issue. We need Poison Rogue to save us. Uh, because Poison Rogue is... Out Solitaire is the Solitaire of Mozaki. Um, so I think that this needs to be addressed. And I think if you nerf Mozaki, you're also going to make Poison Rogue worse. Uh, so that kind of solves another issue. Uh, you, don't want, you don't want the meta to be dictated. like or, or to You don't want Mozaki Mage and Poison Rogue to be strong and popular meta components. I think these strategies are fine when they're niche 
when they're fringe. But when they are actual serious meta consideration, then there is a bit of a problem. And if there is a problem in the format right now, it's those two decks. And this is just a problem that's mostly relevant for top legend players rather than general ladder population. These decks are not as influential uh, at other portions of ladder. So that shouldn't, that's not ruining the experience for most players. Yeah, so Mozaki is Mozaki. Nothing changed about its build. Wildfire Mage was a lot of work to figure out how to build it. Uh, the Multicaster build is the cleanest one. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, it's not that great, but uh, don't be fooled by uh, Wildfire's uh, aggregated statistics. They're not going to look good because a lot of builds are just really, really bad. There are a lot of like tier five builds. So if you got like a tier two, three build that's way down by tier five builds, it's going to like the art type itself is going to look bad in the aggregated stats. But Wildfire Mage is at the very least tier three, very comfortably so. It's a fine deck. It's competitive. It's not elite. It's not top tier. You're not going to see like it's not going to be super popular, like competitively or whatever. But it's fine. And it's getting close, right? Uh, we're getting to the point where a new card, another new card, a good, a couple of good cards, maybe another buff suddenly puts this deck in, into serious uh, contendership. So uh, there's obviously the multicaster build. The rune build, uh, the big spell uh, path is underrated in terms of performance just because most of the bad builds of this archetype are the big spell kind. But the build in the report is quite good. Like people are making the mistake. I think they're running two Arcanologists. It's a very common inclusion. You run two Arcanologists in a slow deck with just two Ice Barriers. Uh, that's not so great. Uh, you can run one. That's fine. You really want a double Fire Sail. Uh, people are not running double Fire Sail. That's a mistake. In this deck, you don't mind if Dongrass doesn't repeat Wildfire. The deck is slower in terms of like the play style. You don't need to close games as quickly as the multicaster path. So you're fine running Fire Cell. Also, sometimes Fire Cell is just better off of Dawn Grasp um, than, than Wildfire if you're in the defensive position. And Overflow is very good with Parrot. I think the Parrot buff was meaningful. It's not like Parrot is insane now, but there's actually an application for it. Um, yeah. And Rune is good. Rune is a good card. A lot of people are telling me that Rune is not a good card. Um, but it is a strong card. It is clearly very strong. I would say, you know, a lot of people are saying that this is worse than Puzzle Box. I really don't agree. I remember how Puzzle Box performed, and I can see how Rune of the Archmage performs, and I can tell you that Rune of the Archmage is a better card. And back then, we had Puzzle Box with Dragon Caster. And Dragon Caster cost six mana back in Puzzle Box's heyday, and Puzzle Box did not perform as well as Rune of the Archmage now performs well in uh, with a seven mana clumsy career. So, food for thought, for those wondering if Puzzle Box is a better card than Rune of the Archmage, based on what I'm seeing, that is not true. Rune is actually the better card.
Yeah, like, Rune doesn't have those crazy trolled and highlights where your silver name and, and you get, like, you know, turn five win the game, but also because of the targeting enemy text, it feels like you don't get the low rolls the same way either. I, I like the the variance restriction in a way that it's really less likely to completely screw you over and less likely to do immediately win you the game. Uh, and it does seem like that when I play it, usually something good happens. It's a it's a strong card. It's one of the best cards in the in the big spell variant. Um, Puzzle box did not perform to this uh, to this level, uh, even though it was uh, you know highly hyped and stuff. It could do crazier things, but Rune is more consistent of a, of a, of a spell. So yeah, I think Wildfire's Mage is fine. And people really want to play it. I think it's still the most popular deck in ladder overall, or at least it's up there. Um, and I played a bunch of it last week. It's super fun. It feels like it's not quite there yet, but it's close enough that it makes me want to play more of it. So at least they got the vibe down. Yeah, they got the vibe down. I think the power is is far better. Uh, this is clearly a deck that people want to play, which is why they keep buffing it. They can tell that this deck is, is something that people want to experiment with. And I think we'll eventually get there. Uh, I think that there will be enough support to make this deck competitive at some point in the future, or more competitive. Um, it just uh, it's just let missing a few like great cards right now. Uh, it feels like both of these variants are forced to run cards that aren't, you know, super great, and which is kind of why this deck is like maybe tier three rather than the the better. Uh, decks in the format i described it uh, i described it in the vs discord as like the best forge in the barons deck i've played in a while uh it would have been insane in barons like that would be the perfect meta for it yeah i mean there are a lot of decks right now that would be insane in barons barons was very low powered and for me that's part of the reason why that expansion was boring but uh yeah yep that was my least favorite expansion of the year, and I still liked it, so, you know. But yes, let's talk Shaman, which has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lists in the report. Uh, we start with, I guess we start with Free Shaman. I mean, Free Shaman, there's not much to say. It's Free Shaman's just chilling, you know. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> needs to find me a 29th and 30th card in this deck. I could not find one. Like, Serpent Shrine Portal is there, but it's like, it was there because I gave up. Because I just couldn't find cards that were worthy of inclusion. Like, I think if you, once you fi- figure that out, I think the deck will be fine. Bonar Shaman is, I would say, at high levels of play, it is the best Shaman deck. The most established one, at the very least. Um, it's stronger defensively than Freeze Shaman, you know. The, the subtle things about like running armor vendor free shaman needs to like it's more proactive it wants to pressure you can't really armor vendors are not great but armor vendors are great in boner shaman because you just want to stall the game until you get to your otk and you know giving your opponent armor doesn't matter so it just helps you against like face hunter for example uh, suddenly the face hunter matchup becomes a little bit better the thief rogue matchup becomes better uh, you still have the stalling. It's one of the better answers, I think, for uh, to Thief Rogue in the format because of its ability to just stall the game through Snowfall Guardians, which are still very, very good cards. And then the over-the-top damage is very relevant against something like Handlock. 
Like if you're playing free shaman and you're reliant on board, and even your seven mana payoff baron gets farmed by a soul wind, right? That's a problem. But if you get to turn, but if you manage to survive against handlock and you get to boner or yasharaj, then there's nothing that they can do. Uh, and sometimes you can even burn them down before that. Uh, you don't even ha need the full combo to kill a handlock. Sometimes, so usually you you will. So there's there's definitely game for boner shaman. I I, I do like that deck right now. Uh, burn shaman. You know, I, I said it in the report. I think it's a little bit overrated, and I think that the hype is gonna die out. I think it kind of already has. It kind of already has. Uh, there's a shot. There's a chance that maybe somebody figures out something that I haven't figured out about this build. Uh, I've seen some other experimentation. Maybe you just run Brokan in this deck. Maybe you just run Brokan in every Shaman deck. I don't know. Yeah. Why or put it in uh, Quest Shaman? Oh, oh yeah. I, just, I, I noticed just now. I'm not sure if that's right in Quest Shaman uh, to run Brokan, but maybe. I don't know. Uh, for the Thief Rogue matchup, makes a bit of sense. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we'll get to Quest Shaman, but it's mostly because Canal Slogger is, like, only okay right now, I think. Yeah, I guess you could swap it for Canal. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Uh, obviously, the old decks like Elemental Shaman and Quest Shaman are very good. People don't play them much because, you know, there's so many options. There's, like, over 40 decks to play. So are you going to play a deck that's been around for, for, for that long? Uh, but Elemental Shaman is doing work. Quest Shaman is very good. Um, Quest Shaman is a lot more fun, I will say. I played this deck a little bit this week. It's so much more fun when you have card draw. <laughs> it's better yeah. and it feels better because you don't run out of cards. Whenever you played Quest Shaman before Multicaster, you would like complete the quest and you would have like two cards in hand and you would just live off the top of your deck. And now with Multicaster, you're playing Quest Shaman, you're completing the quest, and you have like a full hand when you're doing that. It feels so much better. The original nerf to the third phase when it went from eight overload to nine was so devastating because you wouldn't have a ninth card in your hand. Like you just run out of stuff and then you would sit there for a turn waiting to make Brukan happen. Now you just need to set up the draw, but you, you're still a little bit slower, but you're doing stuff in the meantime because you have access to multicaster and just you get to you get to be a deck with resources. It's cool. Yes, and this is part of the reason like question is like a great example why I'm a big advocate uh of card draw. Like it the game Hearthstone, at least for me, is more fun when you actually have cards to play. When you're not just living off the top of your deck. Uh, and and when you have options to, 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 to play and allows you to make decisions, meaningful decisions, I think the game is just more fun. And Quest Shaman, at its current state, thanks to Multicaster, is that kind of deck. And it's not oppressing anyone. It's not limiting other options in the format. It's not an offensive deck. Its win rate is around 50%. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun right now. It's a lot more fun than it used to be. And that's because of Multicaster. So, yeah, give it a shot. And then we have Evolve Shaman. Honestly, we've been memeing about this deck, you know, ruining the game and stuff. But I've been writing it about it as like it's like flavorful writing for the report. Evolve Shaman in its current iteration is not the Evolve Shaman of, of years past. This is not rabbits into Evolve turn four kind of thing. Uh, you need to set that things up. 
Bog Spine takes time. You need, you need to spend five mana. You can't really play things alongside it. You have to equip it and wait. Obviously, if you equip it and your opponent gives you time and you play Tiny Toys and then you swing, that's nuts. Tiny Toys is a very powerful card in the format right now. The one issue of Evolve Shaman, if I could pinpoint one issue, is that it's probably not good enough against like Thief Rogue. Thief Rogue is probably going to be a tough matchup. But there are a lot of other decks that just can't deal with Evolve boards. Um, and the moment you like play Tiny Toys Revolve or Tiny Toys Knuckle Swing, then they're just done. And also, a very underrated card in this deck is Gold Chirinol. Gold Chirinol is very good. The thing that I would say that can improve this deck a lot more is if there was a better card that ran Commander to fuel your hand to make Gold Chirinol good. Uh, there are other tweaks that maybe you could do. I think this build is very, very preliminary. I think there are a lot of things you can try and experiment with in Evolve Shaman. I do like the Pitmasters. They really help in terms of, like, for example, make Knuckles a better card uh, earlier than Tiny Toys. But there's a lot of things that I think are underexplored with this archetype. But even if this archetype ends up being good, ends up being competitive, I don't think it's going to ruin the game. This is not the same Evolve Shaman of last year. No, we would know for sure because we would have been playing against it for three weeks by now. Um, I I looked up, by the way, I was looking at facts in January 2021 for a retrospect on, my, on one of my other shows in CC, and uh, we would still have 10 more days of, uh, of Dread Corsair uh, Pillager, Horde Pillager, Evolve Shaman last year. Still have 10 more days. Right before Allura Paladin got discovered. What a crazy year. But yeah, I played Quest Shaman today. I beat a Garot Rogue with it. Felt good about it. It's it's just really fun and super viable and criminally underplayed. Yeah, like a lot of its bad matchups got nerfed. Basically, this deck, what it loses to is the, you know, lightning fast combo strategies like the that, you know, outpace it in the late game. Uh, because its win condition is more about value. It's more about control. I said this world. <gasps> I, I still stick you by it. Quest Shaman is a control deck. It's a control deck. What other deck? Like, well, how does it win? It wins with charge coal. Like, you build up, you ramp up your power, and then you play a bunch of fat 10 drops. This is how this deck wins. How is this deck not a control deck? I'm sorry. And you know what? I'm going to say this too. Boner Shaman is also a control deck. Just because it has a finisher... Doesn't mean it's not a control deck. Just because it has a, it can OTK, suddenly it becomes a combo deck. But the whole deck, when you play it, it's about stalling. It's about playing defensively. Sometimes you can proactively play. Dare I say you can proactively pressure sometimes with uh, Wildpaw Caverns. But it is a control deck. Well, just because it can deal damage doesn't mean it's not a control deck. But anyway. It's... Stormwind discourse can't hurt you anymore. People seem to be happy right now. We're in the post-expansion afterglow. Meta's really Are cool. Are they happy? Really? You know, one one of the most outvoted uh, threads on Reddit right now is <laughs> unpopular. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I so Vicious Syndicate this. content, Vicious Syndicate content, right? Our report, and then we'll talk about Quest Warrior later. It's like, 
the two of the top three items on Reddit right now. And then the second item, uh, like, the, like the third item uh, that's on the top of Reddit, is unpopular opinion, I like the game. That's the title of this this, this thread. That's, that's Reddit. That is Reddit. <laughs> but it's, oh, I'm not going, the people that are happy with the game don't have the time to go on Reddit. They just, they go play the game. So it's, I, I think that it is generally a, I'm not going to call it consensus, but I'm going to say I've heard a lot of it being pretty positively received, even among content creators. Shared it in one of the content creator discords they were the where I talk, and uh, and one Brian Kibler agreed and said the meta is really solid. Kibler said the meta is solid. We can yeah. move on, guys. We're good. If Kibler is happy, I'm happy. By the way, you know what else is still good, by the way, is Face Hunter. And I love oh, yeah. the card fact that you put in the report because uh, my buddy Fino made a tweet yesterday saying, hey, Gallon, you need to change your profile pic away from Iron Deep Drog. And I replied with the Mulligan stats for Face Hunter. Oh, yes, look what they did to my boy. Wait a second. It was the number one card. It's the best card in the Mulligan and Face Hunter. Okay, okay, okay. I remember I was an advocate for leaving Iron Deep Trog alone or at least only nerf it when you nerf all the combo strategies, which is what they ended up doing. But based on how Iron Deep Trog performs after the nerf, where it's still one of, it's still an incredibly powerful card, uh, they were right to nerf the card. It was just a matter of time, so might as well do it now. It's still strong. It's still really good. It's still really good. It's still extremely powerful in turn one it lost its late game scaling but you know that's good that's not a bad thing uh but it's still a very threatening one drop to the point where it's better than anomaly and when i found out that people are playing crescent and i saw how good crescent is uh i drop anomaly i don't drop uh, iron deep trog so take the face hunter deck to a spin i do expect i will call it right now i expect face hunter to fall off of tier one at top legend uh, next week. And the reason is it's got a bad Thief Rogue matchup. It's got yeah. a really bad Fell Demon Hunter matchup. If more people are going to start playing Fell Demon Hunter to counter the Thief Rogue and the Face Hunter, Face Hunter's winning is going to crash. Is it going to crash to Tier 3? No. It's still gonna probably going to be a good Tier 2 deck at that level. But I don't think it's going to be a dominant deck. I think it's going to be one of the better decks. Like, Fell Demon Hunter is going to be a massive problem because that's a hard, hard counter. And Thief Rogue is also a matchup you don't want to run into too much. But Crescent is a very good card. If you have a ramming mounted uh, minion on the board and you have Crescent, then, like, GG. Lights out. It's just, yeah, yeah it just completely lights out. But, but we're not done. Like, Hunter, I've never seen Hunter in a very long time be so diverse with options. And a lot of the hunter decks are underexplored. I think this is part of the reason why they don't maybe they don't perform as well. But I think that there is work to be done there. Uh the big beast hunter, I think the list that we have in the report is the perfect 30. Um yes, it's sad to cut humongous owls, but Revivapat is a better card than owl. Uh, listen, it's Zach, if you love it, set it free. And if it loves you, it'll come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the the thing that I was I was kind of reluctant to do is cut the, cut some of the beasts because uh, you want to... Uh, Leorx, you still want to be able to play Leorx and, and cheat out some stuff. Or uh, 
Ikman or whatever his name is. Um, it makes it weaker if you don't run as many big beasts. But the thing is, the Mangasal, it just doesn't do enough. And it's horrible to play on curve uh, compared to other beasts, which are, you know, more playable on curve. Like, like Tarantula is not that bad. You can trade it away. Teacher's Pet, you're not that bad. Obviously, this deck is all about the Mountain Bear. Uh, but the problem with Owl is that it's only good when it's kind of cheated out. And even then, the death battle can be very irrelevant if like you're playing from behind which is you often do play from behind with this deck petting zoo though is great so take this list for a spin i'm curious to see what is the right uh, number of beasts maybe you run one owl maybe i'll figure out that one owl is good enough and and rather than none but but i think this deck is very underrated it's quite competitive it's a viable alternative it's not as good as face hunter but it's pretty good um, does well, uh, definitely enough to be competitive. And the Tavish buff is very nice. Every deck that runs Tavish uh, has gotten better because of that buff. That buff means a lot. Because after you play Tavish, you want to hero power a lot. And two mana is less than three. Last time I checked. Um, Quest Hunter. Bunker is probably bait. I've seen a lot of people playing Bunker because you want to play Secrets, because you want to play Spring to Trap. And then they shove in bunker, and then they realize that if you play, if you keep bunker and you play it on two after playing the quest, that's a losing line. That is not a good line for quest hunter because what you want to do with this deck is spend mana to progress the quest. If you play bunker on two, and then play the secrets that you draw from it, you're not progressing your quest, uh, and that's that's a problem. So leave out bunker. Uh, and focus on spending mana to complete the quest. And just the, the secrets are just fodder for a spring to trap. You really want this card. If you get it off, if you get an honorable kill with spring to trap, which you can very consistently do against, for example, Thief Rogue, because they play double agent. So you spring to trap double agent and you get two secrets out. And that is huge. That is a huge amount of stalling for, for that deck. So... Uh, try it out. I think Quest Hunter is fine. If you have Tavish in the opening hand, you can plan so that you play Tavish and then discount your hero, uh, your hero power, and then you get zero mana animal companions. That can be very powerful. So I actually figure out that the card, the, like running Tavish, is fine in this deck. And then you've got the Secret Hunter. That's a deck that's probably not going to get better, and that's probably a good thing because Barnes um, on crack. Yeah. The mulligan is, data is here is, is disturbing, but luckily the deck is just, it does the one thing, and if it doesn't do the thing, then it doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's worse than Face Hunter, right? Um, it's kind of at the level of Quest Hunter, but Quest Hunter, I think, can get better, improve over time with refinement. So it's kind of overshadowed within its old class, so I, I'm not worried about this deck being overly prevalent uh, or overly powerful either. So, Druid. Pat, there are a oh lot of boy. druid Th This a is a podcast by itself, just druid. If we did, if we did five minutes per deck, that's almost an hour. So we're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so quest druid. I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing Habugabu hitting number one legend with it. As Habugabu can do whatever he wants. He can get number one legend with a ham sandwich. He got he got top ten legend with control shadow priest last expansion. 
I, I don't know. I, th- he he also this is, thinks that Bloom is better than Overgrowth. I will say this, okay? Overgrowth is very clearly one of the best cards in this deck and should be in the deck. The question is whether we also want to run Bloom. The question is less so Overgrowth versus Bloom. The question is whether Bloom is good enough to push out another card in the deck. And it's possible that it is. But overgrowth is always in this deck because you really need a ramp. And you really need a ramp uh, when you're playing uh, Guff. And, and yeah, you can find Guff on five and that's great and all. And you can consistently do it with this deck. But overgrowth just puts it over the top. It's just so much better. The deck is so much better with overgrowth. And, you know, he's been running like some world. That's interesting. Not enough data for this week. Didn't have uh the ability to look at that but it could be good it's interesting it's a way to deal with minions which is what this deck struggles with that's the deck's problem so some running some moral with you know you have mike mark of the spike show uh he's added iron bars to the build as well makes it so that you actually have a way to clear boards and deal with what you're weak against which is board flood uh, so that's interesting. We'll look at that next week. But generally, I'm not feeling Quest Druid be this deck that's going to stick. Yeah. It's worth noting as well that some of its power right now is in a confirmed bug. As of right now, if you, that is gain, yeah, if you gain attack as your base hero and then play Guff, the hero card, then you count as gaining the attack again. Like if you pounce and then play Guff... Your quest ticks for two, then ticks for two again. Because whenever you play a hero, it's reapplying buffs that were applied to your hero prior that game uh, or that turn. So that is confirmed to be a bug by Gallon on Twitter, and it will be fixed, which will make this deck worse because there were a lot of times you would just churn through the quest by like you would you would pounce or play whatever and then play Guff. And uh, it's going to be a little bit worse at, at the very least when that interaction gets changed. Yeah, and this deck really cannot afford to be worse. Yep. Than it is right now. It needs to be a lot better. It's pretty narrow. I'm not surprised at High Legend to hear that when you're playing against Fel, DH, and Mozaki, and Poison Rogue that it's doing okay. But I think that generally on the rest of Ladder, it's not going to have these results. For most people, it's not going to have those results either. Thief Rogue is not what you want to see with this either. It could be a top legend in bread deck where you run into a few specific matchups and and, and kind of get lucky. I can see that being why this deck can do well sometimes, but generally I, I don't recommend running this deck. There are better druid decks out there. Let's talk about the better ones, some of the better ones. Ramping druids. Um, there's two builds, right? You can go Glowfly Swarm, uh, Arbor Up. I heard there there were good cards, Hat. Uh yeah. Glowfly Swarm and Arbor Up. Good Druid cards. So you, you kind of go spell heavy with like Fungal Fortunes and you like the minions you play is like Gidra and Umbra all, which work really well with spells. And you just ramp into like Solar Ward, which is what a lot of the ramping Druid decks do. But you also have the Glowfly Swarm, Arbor Up uh, uh, power plays that help you finish off opponents. Uh, so that build looks quite good. A lot of people are obsessed with Malagos. I don't know if it's because of Jombre. That he just loves that card. Uh, but, you know, you don't don't run Fungal Fortunes and Malagos in the same deck. It just... like you, you, when, you're, when you're playing 
Glowfly Swarm, you don't care about the Malagos. It's it's late. You want the Glowfly Swarm on th- on five, and it's fueled by the Fungal Fortunes on three. You want to play Fungal Fortunes, fill your hand with spells, and then play Glowfly Swarm. Malagos doesn't help you with that. So that's kind of the thing that I immediately noticed about this this uh, this variant. And then the other variant is uh, I don't know, extremely fun. Personally, I'm playing this this after the podcast is done because running two old gods is just really really cool. Um, and this is the deck that puts Yog on the map. Yog Sauron is generally strong in this deck uh, with the Abominable Lieutenant. Which is hilarious. Wait, with the what? With the what? I'm sorry? Abominable Lieutenant is a meta card hat. It is a good card. It has turned out to be a very good card. I think that Abominable Lieutenant is kind of the ogre-mancer of this expansion, where nobody thought it would be good. But this is a genuine card. Now, like in big decks, like some of the big decks probably want to run Abominable Lieutenants. It's probably not going to help them be good. Like It's not like Big Paladin is suddenly going to be good because you run a Lieutenant. But it's a really, really good big payoff. And obviously, in Druid, with the ramping potential that you have, it can be a, a, a pretty strong snowballing threat. And it works well with Strongman as well, which you naturally want to run uh, with Yasharaj and Moontouch Amulet. You have good top end. And you want to run two All Gods. I'm pretty sure that you want to run both Yasharaj and Yogg in this deck. And you also have Ivis. You have quite a bit of late quite a bit of late game is a dramatic understatement this deck is heavy as hell yeah it's heavy as hell but it, it it's surprisingly consistent and it's quite strong this this both of these variants that i just highlighted are tier two look like tier two decks so they're good they're very competitive and the guff helps a lot like if you guff on curve you don't say my <laughs> My opponents, like yesterday, like every druid is just like guff on curve. It's really hard to beat. Like they, they, because the thing is, if you guff on five, like the solar ward is coming down. And that's such a huge stabilizer. And now that you have both overgrowth and guff, this is a very consistent thing that you encounter. And Ivis is quite good. Uh, in fact, I would say when we move on to the next uh, deck, uh, which is Clown Druid, I would be interested to see whether Guardian Animals Clown Druid, the Guardian Animals version, also wants to run Ivis. Uh, it might be that, you know, there's some redundancy there because as a Clown Druid, you kind of want to play Survival on 10 and then into a Clowns, and that pretty much is what stabilizes you rather than the Ivis. But maybe it's possible. Clown Druid, underrated, underplayed, Looking like a very good tech too, around tier two. Um, the GA version, you know, it's the old version. You just slap down Guff, and the deck is a lot better with Guff in it. Uh, or you play the Vandar build, which personally I find more more enjoyable. Um, you know, because it's just strong. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just not running six patches in your deck feels good. Um, so try it out. Uh, I think clown druid, uh, can be a thing. Uh, you know, a, a, a board of clowns again, in a lot of matchups is just game over. Yep. 
And with all of these guff overgrowth decks, one of my favorite plays to make is either set up with the nature studies or use the coin is turn three overgrowth into turn six guff hero power, where it transforms from shield block wild growth into shield block overgrowth. And boy, is that nuts. You just end up with so much mana so quickly and you just keep pressing that button. You do, you kind of just get to do whatever you want at a certain point. Yeah. I think that the Celestial Alignment nerf just open up this space because in a way, Celestial Alignment kind of counters uh, Guff. Because as Guff, you want to get to Tony Mana, but then you run into an alignment matchup and they just set you back to one. And what are you, what are you even doing? So now that they nerfed alignment... These other ramping druid decks actually have space. Um, so in a lot of ways, sometimes sometimes you nerf a cornerstone card in a class that you know kind of dominates that class. Once you nerf it, you open up other things within that class, and it even helps the class be more viable or more competitive or more diverse with options. And this is what's happening. I think alignment was just bad for the game, and was bad for druid too. Much like Gibberling was bad for aggressive druid decks that you just couldn't compete with Gibberling. Once you nerf Gibberling, suddenly you saw space opening up there. We're seeing the same thing here with alignment. Uh, so when it comes to ramping, probably the Cthun build, I think Kibler was playing it. Probably not what you want to do, but there are plenty of viable ramping druid decks, even if Quest Druid doesn't work out. I think rampant clowns are 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 pretty competitive. I love that the worst the worst ramp druid deck is Celestial, which has basically vanished. I love that that's the worst one. Yeah, yeah. It's just like again, it's not even a ramping deck, right? Because you just set your deck to one, uh, to one cost cards, and it just goes from there. Uh, you don't really, you don't really get to enjoy ramping when you're playing Celestial Druid. Uh. In any case, the more aggressive Druid decks might be even better. Uh, Tondruid, again, Troc. Just play Troc. Keep playing Discard. Don't drop it from your deck. Um, just run the list that we have in the report that we theorcrafted before even a game was played. This list is perfect. This list is Tier 1. This is one of the best decks in the format. I would not be surprised. I would actually bet on it. If everyone played the list that we have in the report, the Drek'thar Tondruid, then Tondroid would be tier one, even a top legend next week. Is it good enough against Thief Rogue? Is it good enough against against uh, Wild Pot? No. That's my big question. No. No. <laughs> no. I didn't think so. None. But the meta is not just about that one deck hat. Like, there are other decks in the format where uh, Tondroid is very good against. So, yeah, you can have one unfavored matchup. But if you do well against other things, then you you still have a place. Uh, and people are trying to counter uh, Thief Rogue as well, so who knows? Yeah. Though, if they're trying to counter with Fell Demon Hunter, I don't want to play this deck either. I'm, I'm all set. Uh, Fell Demon Hunter? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Probably. That's also a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. But if they want to play Poison Rogue, they want to play Poison Rogue, you just hit them with the turn two Razorman Battleguard and Oyotron, then they just go. They just leave. Yeah, so the deck, I think, is is definitely uh, good enough. I think part of the reason why aggressive decks, maybe people aren't uh, too eager to play them just because of Thief Rogue and, and that matchup. Again, because it just dominates other initiative-focused decks. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. 
Beastroid. If you want to have a bit more power and oomph, and maybe even more game against Thiefrog compared to Tondrid, then Matriarch is a pretty good card. And Beastroid might be even better than Tondrid. Uh, it's tough to say just because of refinement and such. But this deck is also very strong. Um, you have a higher curve. You have a bit more longevity compared to Tondrid. Your early game isn't as explosive, but gets the job done. Uh, people are, are not running sentries enough. Sentries are really good. I'm seeing people still running Pack Mule. Like, hello. The only reason you run Pack Mule and Tondrid is because it's a Tondrid. Uh, sentries is two mana, and you get two ticks on your matriarch. It's way better in this deck. Also, if you use a if you use a Guff Portrait when you play Thorn Growth Sentries, then there is a little voice line, and it's adorable. So Beastroid very good as well. You can play it. again. There's so many options out there that you have a deck like Beastroid that's pretty much tier one potential, but nobody's playing it because there's so many other options. Like so, these decks are just underplayed. And I played a bit of the Beast Druid as well. It doesn't feel quite the same in the first couple turns as Taunt Druid if you're waiting for those really explosive openings. You're not as explosive, but you're mid-game. Well, the explosive turns are a few... There are a few turns later, but when you go Oracle uh, and then play like some Ram Commander tokens and then get your Matriarchs to zero, you get the explosive turns. They're just a few turns later. Yeah, you you really explode in the mid-game in this deck rather than turn two battle guard and such so that that's kind of what makes this deck a little bit different and and then we have the director druid uh i wish i didn't find this out but you know the truth has to be has to be out there uh so the thing people did before is you just top out at drekthar and you play captured coaltooth mine and you always find drekthar and you try to win with just a drekthar and like the Iron Deep Trogs, obviously Iron Deep Trog is not good enough in this deck anymore. Uh, so you go back to Blade Masters. But the thing is, you don't need your whole deck to be about Drekthar. Just play Glowfly Swarm, be a Glowfly Swarm deck, and sometimes you ought to win when you find Drekthar. That's the successful path. This is the path that puts this uh, Drekthar Druid deck potentially tier two. And it's very strong. Based on what I'm seeing. So if you want to high roll people with Drekthar, I would say this deck is the one you want to play rather than Secret Hunter. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of potential here, unfortunately. Yeah, that is unfortunate. But it's, it's, uh, it's whatever. People don't seem to have the same kind of appetite for the high rolls that they did back in the Barnes days. The thing is, there are so many options out there that people just don't want to play the Drekthar decks. That's a good thing. I'm fine with it. Don't play the director decks. Anyway, let's talk about the meta breaker of next week. I'm I'm saying it right now. Fell Demon Hunter is the meta breaker of next week. I I think so. Pretty reasonable. It beats Face Hunter. It beats Thief Rogue. Those are the top two decks right now. A top legend, and that's gonna propagate because Thief Rogue is gonna get better at low ranks too. And the other thing is. What does Fell Demon Hunter struggle against? Uh, normally, it would be things like Paladin, right? Uh, it would be things like maybe Quest Warrior. Uh, 
if if you're playing at lower ranks uh so you know you know what what helps with those matchups uh uh mag theridan helps in those matchups remember how he was really good in stormwind and we noticed it and put it in the list eh. I remember when it was a top three card in this deck in Stormwind, and suddenly we have a new expansion, and everyone forgot that this card exists. What? Really? Why are we forgetting that? Now we're going back. Okay, so the thing is, after the patch, people started to go back into Arcanist Felscreen Blast, which makes sense because it's really good against Thief Rogue specifically, right? They play double agents and they swarm the board and you just arcanist immolation aura arcanist fell screen brass you recover heal clear their board and they run out of steam but if you're running fell screen blast and you have that combo with arcanist might as well run mctheridan because you can mctheridan arcanist immolation aura you can mctheridan arcanist fell screen blast and that pretty much ends games there are a lot of matchups there are a lot of decks that cannot deal with a 12-12. You can't deal with it. Uh, so and it's 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 a it's a win condition by itself. You don't need to wait for the Jace. You don't need to wait for your Kurtris Demon Rendon to come online with expendable performance. You can just end games with MacTheridon. So I highly recommend you to try out MacTheridon. I am confident that it is good in this deck. I need more confirmation on it, but it's probably what puts this deck over the top. And if it does, again, next week's Meta Breaker. Uh, Hat, are you going to get baited now, though? You're not getting oh, baited. I've, it's time I've to played, play Brutes, Hat. I played against a Brute DH today. I, I, it's, you I, lost? I, almost lost. They had a terrible draw, but had eight soul fragments in their deck. They completed two phases of the quest in the same turn and played Kurt and two Brutes the almost same turn. Almost lost. You see, the almost. deck is good. It almost lost. Almost. It almost lost. It won. Uh, no. So I almost lost the deck. The okay. Brute did lose, but it's surprisingly close to competitive. What changed to make Brutes like potentially relevant again? Because it does seem like it's just not as bad, but it doesn't play any new cards. Well, Lifesteal Demon Hunter got nerfed, and That's that opened good. up space for this deck, right? So people are running the alternative. The alternative is fine. Now, this deck has, you know, the similar weakness where it's. It can get pressured by minion boards, right? Minion heavy boards, and that's that can be a problem. But it's very good against the slower strategies. Glide is good, like Glide is a good card in, in some matchups where you just glide away their win condition or glide away their like if you're playing against handlock, for example, that can be annoying to play against. Um so Quest Demon Hunter is fine. Looking tier two-ish around that mark. It's a good deck. It's a fine deck. You can definitely brute right now. Uh, then you have De- Deathrattle Demon Hunter. That's when you start uh, going on Discord hat and start typing messages because you don't care. Okay, right? listen, I care about DRDH, but like underplayed, low interest, fine deck seems reasonable. It probably beats more stuff it than just it gets easy credit to for. Build. It's yeah. easy to refine. It's easy to figure out very quickly. The build that we have in the report is pretty much perfect. And that's probably going to be it, right? Yeah, it's they, this deck has never really had a lot of curb appeal. Like, people don't, people aren't drawn to it. Even in Barons, when it was, like, really relevant, people weren't drawn to it. And it's been the same strategy. And even though it's gotten 
better. And even though it's gotten some really nice cards, besides the Kurtris and the combo, flanking maneuver is really nice. It, you just kill some stuff. Like, it's a, it's a really good card, but it's just not exciting, so people don't tend to play it very much. Yeah. Anyway, Paladin. Developments in Paladin. You nerfed Trog. You nerfed the early game. I talked in last week's podcast that this deck probably wants another one drop. Well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe we're just going late game hat. Maybe we're just playing Carriol and we're clicking that hero power and we're buffing Mr. Smite in hand over and over until we have 18 burst. Ugh. Maybe that's what we're doing. Um, because it looks fine. Like, I, I wouldn't say Smite is a is a super... I would say Murger is a better card. Like, Murger is really good. Like, you're playing against, like... Like, in the Warlock matchup, it's very relevant. Um... There are a lot of matchups. Like, if Fell Demon Hunter becomes popular, you just murder them. Like, that's tough to beat, right? Libin Paladin is just going light. The feeling of playing against Cariel reminds me of the feeling of, of playing against Baron's Priest. The game is going to go forever. I'm probably going to lose. They're going to heal for a million. And then they're just going to do some some garbage. And I'm probably not going to be able to clear the board. And I'm going to die. I, I don't know. It's It feels more like Dr. Boom Control Warrior. It's, um, it's boy, those are not charitable comparisons for the play experience yeah. here, huh? You play, I mean, I think it's fine. It, it's not, it's really, really powerful, obviously. And Carol is probably too cheap for what she does. But I think, I think it's okay. I think we can live with it for a while. But it is very powerful, obviously. If Carol comes down, basically, what you need to do, you kind of need to grind out the paladin. It's very very hard to kill them uh, if you don't have vipers. Some strategies want to run vipers naturally. Um, you know things like quest demon hunter wants to run viper because it's a tradable, works well with the quest mine as well, and it's damage centric. Or something like poison rogue doesn't mind, run, mind running viper, but you don't want to run viper in an aggressive deck generally. So you're gonna run into Cariel and yeah. She's going to demolish you. But I think that right now, Cariel serves an important purpose. Like, the fact that Libin Paladin has a decent matchup against Thief Rogue, I think, is important. If you take away Cariel right now, you take away one of the counters to Thief Rogue. So I think it's fine. I've seen some people start running Vipers and Thief Rogue. Because it's a tradable, right? You swap it with, like, an extortion. So uh, you can still trade it early and discount Nulls. But you have an answer to Cariel. I think that's probably okay. Um, just because there's tradable synergy. If you have tradable synergies, then it's easier to, to run Viper in your deck. Uh, so there are ways to answer Carol. I think I'm fine with it. Um, Libra Paladin, obviously very good deck, but you know, at high levels of play, it drops off a little bit. Definitely not as much as Quest Warrior. But no, uh, we'll get to that. It, it's... Yeah, it, it's it's a good deck. It's a strong deck. It's one of the stronger decks, and I think it's a little bit maybe people are even underrating it at top level play because it's good against uh, Thief Rogue. So I think, and it's very good against. It, it's pretty decent against Face Hunter too. It's not amazing, but it's it's quite alright in the, into these matchups. Buff Paladin is a fine deck, but gets outclassed by Libin Paladin, so that's an issue. Why would you play Buff Paladin over Libin Paladin? There's no great reason. 
Another good deck. The best answer to Thief Rogue is Handlock. So Warlock is definitely going to stay relevant in the format, even though we killed our Warlock with the nerf to Rod, Artificer, Touch of the Nathrazim. Uh, Handlock is fine with that one slight nerf on, on Touch. Uh, Soulrend is, you know, there are people still not running two Soulrends because there's a build from two weeks ago from the Solitaire meta where people cut Soulrend for Altar of Fire people are still doing that stop doing that soul rend is the reason why handlock is strong right now because if you're being overwhelmed by double agents no wild pond no openings you just soul rend and just pretty much win the game at that yeah. spot it's a very handlock's, strong card in that matchup handlock's removal suite right now is just kind of custom built to dismantle thief rogue you're really good at dealing three damage to single things you're really good at dealing five damage to boars knoll into uh, goldshire knoll into wild pond knoll and then raised at it back is really powerful at containing boards and this is the most scabs resistant deck i can think of because all your stuff doesn't cost any mana anyway well you're going to put the bristleback back in their hand you're going to put the baron scavenger the zero mana flesh giants they'll just play it all again yeah, like if you're if you're playing Thief Rogue and you want to beat Handlock, you kind of need to set up an out-of-control Edwin. That's one of the best ways to do that, um, to win that matchup. But yeah, that matchup is tough. The Drain Souls deal with the double agents. The Wild Pound Nulls are not out of like the removal range of things like Bristleback, uh, um, Null, their Null, Gold Null, and obviously the Soul Wind. Uh, is the most important thing. They can set up pretty crazy slinger turns too. Yeah, yeah. Handlock is very good. But the thing that I wanna I wanna talk about Handlock and you know Demon Seed uh and how like it's almost irrelevant Demon Seed uh win condition uh for this deck is that this deck doesn't even beat Fell Demon Hunter. Um like the matchup with Fell Demon Hunter with uh or Handlock is like super super uh, like I would say Fell Demon Hunter is favored. Thanks to the expendable combo, it's really hard to build a board now that doesn't just get you killed as Handlock. Yeah, Handlock used to be favored in that matchup, and then they nerfed the quest. So they weakened the quest, and the matchup became like 50-50. And now Fell Demon Hunter is running the expendable combo, which makes it even better in that matchup. And maybe you run Mag Theridan, and you're even better in that matchup <laughs> because of that. Because Mag Theridan, if like... Board of Fletcher and you Mag Theridan and just deal with that. 12-12. You need to spend two bristlebacks to clear that. That's tough. So so yeah, I think that Handlock is not oppressing everything, anything, and control related. And there are plenty of late game strategies that can deal pretty well with it. Bolner Shaman also does uh fine against uh Handlock. That matchup is fairly close. I would even give it a slight edge to Bolner Shaman. Yeah. Snowfall Guardian is kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah, yeah. Because Handlock is an honest deck that needs to win through board. And people, st- like, there are people still calling it a combo deck. It's so stupid. It's all about developing threats, and those threats need to be on the board to deal damage to you. Uh, so, something like Snowfall Guardian is definitely a good answer to it. But Handlock is good. I, I think that Handlock stocks will rise. As Thief Frog uh, stocks rise, and if you really want to counter Thief Frog, then uh, then Handlock is a great, the best answer. And I think I do, based on what I'm seeing, the Face Hunter matchup is not as bad 
if you're running full-blown evil, double soul man, like removal. Don't waste like your time. Like Cold Neophyte is good in some matchups, but not Face Hunter, right? No. And you can even make an argument for Altar of Fire for being good in the Face Hunter matchup because it enables your your ten or less yeah, cards. Yeah, but it's but so bad in other matchups. It's so bad. You want to play Full Blown Evil. You want to play Soul Rain. Get them off the board. They're they're a buff deck now. Kill their stuff. Keep them from playing Doggy Biscuit and Ramming Mount. Avoid the chip damage. Heal back up and kill them. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much it. So I really don't think the matchup for Handlock against Face Hunter is as bad as the stats suggest because. A lot of the builds on ladder right now just, just don't run the good cards against uh, Face Hunter. I mean, if you're not even running Soul Wind, what are you even doing against Face Hunter? Uh, so yeah. And now we get to the to my favorite part hat. So my f- I'm going to read something. I'm going to read something from the report here. I'm going to read this okay. word for word. So remember that bit about Garot Rogue being the most skill testing deck we've ever seen? Well, Quest Warrior might be the anti Garot Rogue as in the least skill-testing deck we've ever seen. This deck dominates lower MMRs, it dominates Bronze through Gold, it dominates Platinum, it dominates Diamonds, one of the best decks at Legend, but then at Top Legend, it sinks all the way down to Tier 3. Matchups drastically shift against it at higher levels. We're talking about 8% differences on average. This deck feels overtuned for most players on ladder, but if you ever want to be a jerk to someone complaining about Quest Warrior, you can tell them to get good, and you'd technically be right. But... You'd still be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. Quest, Ro- Quest Warrior is unprecedented in the way that it dips at higher levels and in the way that it gets so much worse. Like, better players are so much better at just exploiting its limitations. All of its plays are very telegraphed. So, better players are able to exploit those kind of telegraphed plays where they know what's coming and they can play uh avoid playing into warriors best plays and make their best plays as uncomfortable as possible and personally i have barely ran into quest warriors at top legend people don't play it maybe because it's embarrassing to play it at that level or the better answer is that it's just not that good it reminds me so much of TGT Secret Paladin, where like the curves are so prescribed, and if you know what to do against turn one quest, turn two, 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 turn three, four health minion, then like you just kind of run away with the game early. Yeah, but the thing is, it's very powerful, obviously very powerful through most of ladder, and then people are like criticizing that kind of comment where they're saying, oh, so it's fine, we don't need to nerf it because because top legend players can beat it. That's not what this is saying. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that if you aspire to be a better Hearthstone player, Quest Warrior is a really good example. It's actually one of the matchups where you can notice the biggest improvement in your own play. The way you play against Quest Warrior and the way your results against Quest Warrior are going to be a strong indication uh, of... How much better are you getting as a player? Because one of the harder skills in Hearthstone, you know, there's there's things that like the first skill in Hearthstone is like making the best plays to complement your strategies. And then top level players, what makes them top players is that they're able to make those plays, but also make the best plays against the opponent's expected plays. 
where they make it not just best for their own strategy, but make it as uncomfortable as possible for the opponent to play their own stuff and and, and prevent them from doing what they want to do. This is something, this is a skill that starts to really ramp up at Top Legend. And this is why Quest Warrior falls off so hard. Because everything is telegraphed and they're just spamming pirates. You're just spamming pirates all day. That's all you do. All you do need to worry about at Quest Warrior is proc Quest Tick as efficiently as possible in terms of mana usage. Like, play your 4 drop on 4 and then play a 2 and a 3 on 5 to get 2 Quest Ticks and such and such. And those things are predictable. And if you can predict them, there are plenty of strategies that can exploit them. Uh, there's a lot of them. So I'm seeing a lot of matchups that get better at high levels against Quest Warrior. So in a way, you can treat the Quest Warrior matchup as your way of improving in Hearthstone, your way of improving that particular skill of not playing into the opponent's best plays and make it as uncomfortable for them as possible. Because what a lot of people at Diamond and Platinum do, what they do is they just worry about their own plays. Oh, I have this card, I'm going to play it in this turn, and maybe next turn I'll play that card, and that complements my strategy the best. And then they run into exactly the card that perfectly answers their play from the Quest Warrior, and the Quest Warrior doesn't need to do any work to make that play, and they get frustrated. Or they complain about miss random Mr. Smite off of Juggernaut. Yeah, that sucks. And sometimes you're going to lose seemingly unlosable games because of Gorehow Smite rolls. But the point I'm making is, to exploit Quest Warrior, what you're doing is you're exploiting all the Telegraph plays that they make before Juggernaut comes down. And what all of the good matchups against Quest Warrior do, all of them, is that they get ahead, they outpace the warrior, and put them in the spot where they play the reward, they play Juggernaut, when they're behind. And let me tell you something, when they play the Juggernaut, when you're ahead on the board, you're in a very good position. Their random shots don't hit as hard. You're obviously ahead on the board, so you're going to be ahead on your life total, so it's very hard for them to burst them down. Sometimes they're going to high roll. That happens. But if you can consistently exploit their really predictable patterns from turn two to turn seven, you're going to get better results against Quest Warrior. And at the end of the day, yes, Team 5 do care about how decks perform throughout ladder, and they're going to make adjustments for for these kind of decks, even if they're just dominant and platinum. That's not what we're saying. That's not what we're caring about. But what we are saying is that you can solve your frustration in uh, playing against Quest Warrior by playing better. And it, it's a good learning experience for people. People can take that matchup as a good learning experience of how to improve this particular skill that top legend players excel at that's kind of the message um so quest warrior powerful deck but at the hands of the best players that are able to exploit its predictable patterns of play not very powerful at all in fact i would say it's a suboptimal choice of top legend uh so that's kind of what i wanted to say
but it's it has nothing to do with balance considerations. Like uh, people are taking that comment into like like we've shouted off the rooftop that Quest Warrior shouldn't be nerfed or something like that, and all the people who complain about Quest Warrior and such are upset that uh, uh, we told them to get good, right? <laughs> But we didn't it's, say that because we're not We jerks. did not say that. No, we're not here to judge. We're not here to make any kind of comments. If you like playing Pirate Warrior, you like playing uh, Quest Pirate Warrior, go nuts. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Just like the deck doesn't do as well when people anticipate it better. That's all. That's all we're saying. It's just a data-related observation, and it's an interesting and cool observation. That's all there is to it. I mean, that's it. Um. So, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see a change to this deck because of how powerful it is to other MMRs and because of how on rails it is. And I would think a softer change, you don't need to, like, you could either add a pirate to the second level of the quest, or you could move Cannoneer to a 4-mana 3-4 or something like that, and it's fine. Uh, but also, if they left it alone, it would still be healthy. It's just a question of how they would uh, adjust the feels. Yeah. Like, all these complaints about how it has infinite value and an aggressive deck shouldn't have infinite value or whatever. This deck isn't even good at seizing early game initiative. This deck isn't even good, particularly good at taking control of the early board uh, because of how predictable it is. Just use the matchup as a learning experience. Really? Because like, it's it's so easy to telegraph. Like, it's such a it's such a predictable deck. So, you can really use it as a way... To improve as a Hearthstone player by playing against it. I really do think so. Yes. Uh, it is a good litmus test for how you were doing as a player. Yeah, I think so. All right. All uh, right. So there's no Control Warrior because there's no draw. There's no Rush Warrior because no one has wanted to play that deck since uh, since Stormwind came out. I do want to sharpen up this point about Control Warrior. The reason why Control Warrior is not viable is not because everybody is playing OTK decks and such. Because they're not. Like, most decks in the format are not OTK decks anymore. Well, and the combo decks, you can actually out-armor and beat them that way, yeah. which theoretically Control War would be good at. Yeah, yeah. That's not the problem. The problem is that Control Warrior's own win conditions, potential win conditions, don't come online consistently around the window of opportunity where they need to come down which is around turn 9, 10, 11, something like that. Because you don't have the draw. You need to draw through Outrider's Axe, and that is very dependent on whether your opponent actually plays minions. You don't have on-demand draw. If you did, maybe Galvanger would actually be a real win condition. Because right now, But right now it isn't. But this is actually what Warrior needs to do. If you want to increase diversity of strategies in Warrior... Just give them card draw. Look what happened to Shaman. Look what happened to Druid. Look at the diversity in Demon Hunter. Look at the diversity in Rogue. They all have one common denominator, and that's the fact they have good card draw. Um, Without Multicaster, for example, Wildfire wouldn't even have hope of being competitive. You'd have maybe the big spell variant, and and that's it. Uh, So I think... uh, that just just give warrior on demand draw and you'll see things get a lot better there are some hopefuls in the vs discord that are trying to build multicaster warrior decks and uh it hasn't gone well for them so please 
save them. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, multicaster does not work. Multicaster is only good. You know, actually, I queued into Jomper yesterday, and he was playing. He was playing some Warlock deck with Mithrobot at five mana, with Artificer at three, with Philosophies. I got completely wrecked, but he was also running multicaster. Jumper, really? Multicaster and Warlock? Do we really need There's what? Fell, <laughs> Shadow, and Fire? I think he played he played Multicaster and drew a card with it. He played a Gnomish Inventor hat. Yeah. He's uh, won, there's, there's an extra but... power. Power creep. Um uh, uh, I don't know about Multicaster. Did he play Maligos? But it, do you play Malagos? I bet Mithra Rod into Malagos is probably the nuts. <laughs> That's insane. I actually have no idea what his win could... Oh, he was playing Quest. He was playing Fatigue Warlock, basically. Uh, he, he was playing Fatigue Warlock with... Okay, uh, but hold on. Now I really want to do Rod into Malagos. Imagine you draw eight and you, you proc the full Rod Your hand is one. full as the Warlock. You can't even draw that much with Malagos. What are you talking about? That's, I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Whatever. Speaking of big dreams that never work in real life, let's talk about Priest. No, the thing is, here's the thing. Priest is actually good. I'm going to say it right now. Priest is actually a good class because Rally Miracle Priest is a legitimate deck. I would say Rally Miracle Priest at Top Legend is a better deck than Quest Warrior. Um, it, it's, it's, I think it's even Tier 2. Like I've been running into that deck, and it's it's scary. It's a spooky deck. And its win rate also suggests that. That is, it's perfectly viable and competitive. Miracle Priest's right now win rate is dragged down by the Malagos build. I know Jumper's not going to like when, when I say it, when I knock his buddy Malagos. But it just, uh, like, the thing is, you have a problem when you don't have generation in that deck. You can't, like, basically what the Malagos build does is you have... You go off with Bloodweaver, you play all of your cards and make one big board. And then you get scabbed and the game is over. Or you get removed and the game is over. You don't have follow-ups, consistent follow-ups to your initially big blowout play. Yeah, you can play the Bloodweaver and discount the Malagos and follow up with that and just make this huge board that a lot of decks cannot deal with. But if it's dealt with, you're done. The difference is when you're playing Rally Build, you go off with Veilweaver. You raise that the Veilweaver and go again. You go over and over and you generate a lot of win conditions just by accident. Uh, and even if they deal with your initial board, you can still keep going. And obviously, Drek'thar, I heard that was a good Hearthstone card. So when you put it in your deck, you're more likely to win. So from what I'm seeing is that the, the rally build of Miracle Priest is potentially tier two a top legend because, again, high skill cap. It's a difficult deck to play, admittedly so. And players who are not at that level are going to struggle to make Priest work on ladder. But here's another thing that I'm just noticing. And that, that Shadow Priest is not so bad either. Uh, I think, <gasps> yeah, I'm noticing it like right about now. Shadow Priest is either tier three or maybe even tier two. So Priest, I think, could have two competitive decks. 
yeah, they don't carry a lot of interest. People are not excited about playing Shadow Priest right now. But I will make a point next in the next report to build a Shadow Priest deck because right now the Shadow Priest builds that I'm seeing, that I'm saying tier 2, tier 3 are built horribly and they probably can be improved through refinement. So I think Shadow Priest is, is competitive as well based on what I'm seeing right now. You can play it and have success with it. You just need to not run garbage like, I don't know, Lucia. Why are people <laughs> still playing Lucia in this deck? What is wrong I, I with people? Don't, I don't understand. It's the only build in HSR still has Lucia in the deck. Oh, it it's, does? I don't understand yeah. why they put... Because I'm seeing Lucia in the cluster. and I'm, Why are people still playing Lucia? Just cut this card. It doesn't work. It's, it's bad. It's not a good card. I don't really understand. Oh, you probably want to run Najak in this deck. The card that you that you dumpster people with in Rogue also might be good in Priest, which is the class that it was printed in. <laughs> I think it's I yeah, think yeah. it is a strong card. Uh and I've been surprised at how annoying it is to remove and how effective it can be at just taking something. Cause you can take like a rush minion and run it in immediately and it dies and you know. The death row yeah. never procs, like it's never relevant. Or, so. or you can take a you can take a paladin, you can take an Alder Truth Seeker with a Librum on it, and that's my Librum now. You can take a Sword Eater, and what does the warrior do? Yeah, it's it's uh it can be very powerful. It's a very powerful card in this deck. And again, the, the like it's almost a problem that there there's so many options in the meta and there's so much diversity. That things like Shadow Priest just don't see much play, and I just can't really evaluate them. And they could be perfectly competitive, and you would have every class viable and competitive. You already do because of Miracle Priest, but I'm saying Shadow Priest could be a very nice deck to play throughout ladder. And you don't have to be obviously uh, a master high skill capper to get good results with it, like uh, like in the case of Miracle Priest, which is a difficult deck. So, uh, the meta is diverse. There's tons of options. Every class has viable decks. Every class has competitive decks. Some classes have, have six viable decks and five viable decks, and it's kind of crazy. Uh, but it really is, I think, the meta after the balance changes, which I think you could do more. You could nerf Mazaki, delete Mazaki, just get rid of it, and I guarantee you that the current diversity will improve even further. Uh, if you nerf Muzaki. But uh, even when you didn't nerf Muzaki, I think the, the, the mana is in pretty good shape. And there are plenty of viable decks of different play styles, including control, yes. There's aggro decks that are good. There are control decks that are good. There are combo decks that are good. There are all sorts of decks. Uh, and you can play pretty much whatever you want. And I think that there's a strategy that caters to... All sorts of people who play or enjoy different things. And honestly, the format has never been this. I don't, I don't remember. Like, I remember metas where there were like 10 viable decks, <laughs> barely. And all the other ones kind of sucked. And you were gimping yourself playing it. But now it's just so many options. It's just crazy. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Team 5 decided that card draw was not strictly an identity of some classes, and they also moved away from printing cards just for the jokes, right? 
so many cards uh that were not meant to be viable and waste uh slots in in all sorts of class sets now everything seems to have more meaning behind it more competitive meaning and the, this is the, this is our the results of like a a year of sets that were kind of like that uh but yeah it's it's a lot of it has to do with the draw and when you look at the least diverse class warrior the problem is the draw so don't nerf draw not nerf draw make more draw that caters to the things that are currently struggling and you'll get them up to speed well zach we did it got through all the decks got through all the classes and uh you can rest now I've been yawning. I, like, I woke up today, but I'm still super tired from the past two days. It's been, like, really... Woof. But it was satisfying. I, I'm really happy with how the report turned out. Yes. I'm happy with how the report turned out. I'm happy with how the format turned out. Uh, I it, it deserves repeating. December patches have gone poorly for the team in the past, and this one, I think, got about as close to perfect as they could have gotten... Uh, maybe they could listen to you and hit flow a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but... yeah. It's near perfect. I think if we nerfed in candor slow, it would be 100% perfect. But uh, I would give it a, a 9 out of 10. When you compare this to Dark Moon Fair and Evolve Shaman, when you compare this to DOT and, and DOD and Galakron Shaman, uh, among other things, when you compare this to Rastakhan's Rumble, where the set was so unimpactful, they had to nerf classic set Druid cards to make the set relevant, and even then it barely worked. When you look at what we've been dealing with over the past few years, Alterac has been unprecedented in terms of variety, and the balance changes made sense and tuned appropriately, and also made Hunter more diverse, made Mage a little bit more diverse. Even if it's not all the way there in terms of win rate, it's still something that you can do and try and feel good about doing. So, really impressive work from Team Five, and uh, really, I just want to—I just want to play more ladder. I gotta—I gotta go to sleep and go to work tomorrow, but I just want to play more ladder. So. Job well done. I personally think this is the best meta we've had since Coleman's. It's it's really, really impressive. I expected to go down as an all And arguably, this is better than Coleman's. Arguably, yeah. this is better than Coleman's. Definitely for me, because uh, I prefer draw over generation, over mass generation. Though I can't, I could enjoy, like, Cyclone Mage was fun, right? But Yeah. But this is just, yeah. It's, it's really, really well done. So, thank you, everyone, for listening. Really extra special thanks to our VS Gold, VS Silver Patreon members, everyone that subbed and supported this week. You're fantastic. You can all look forward to the next report. It should be on time on Thursday the 6th. I don't think that we're expecting balance changes until mid to late January when they put out 22.2, which will, of course, probably also come with uh, large-scale battleground changes if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, and our next podcast will be next Saturday the 8th. This one should be out on Saturday the 1st. Happy New Year if you're hearing this on Saturday the 1st. Big thanks to Evil Day for the podcast transcriptions. And Steven Sensei, you're the best. Thanks for the intro and outro. We'll talk to you all soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.